It's time to drop the puck. Time for the nightcap. Your home for news and insider info on your Vegas Golden Knights and the NHL. Let's hear from the goalie. Here's Lindsey Brown. special edition of the nightcap podcast my name is Lindsay brown your host for always and forever it is currently 109 p.m on october 1st and today uh is a is a tough day in the city of las vegas obviously there's a there's a lot of uh emotions running high today as it we uh I don't know, acknowledge the second anniversary of the events that took place on October 1st of 2017, just outside of uh, Mandalay Bay and down on the Strip. And today I am joined with Hockey Buzz's Jeff Paul. Jeff, thank you for joining me. Anytime. Wow, really coming out so of the So excited. There. So excited Any, to be here. Anytime. This is anytime. like the greatest moment of my life, this and is this is how I know I've made it. This is exciting. This is a very exciting day for you and I. This is your first time on the Nightcap uh, podcast here with me, and I'm very grateful to have you here. And we're going to get to some Golden Knights stuff. Uh, we're actually going to have more content for the listeners tomorrow for opening day, for opening day. What is this, baseball? Do we call it something specific in hockey? Is it just That's like a good question. first? We'll call it first drop. Well, I think because we're called the Knights, mm. we have to call it opening night with a capital K. It's almost like that's a branding angle that multiple yeah, people have taken, including this very podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's been done before. It's been done before. So we'll, we'll go with that. So, Jeff, we'll, we'll get to some Golden Knights things uh, as we get ready for that for the first game of the season versus the San Jose Sharks. But today I wanted to bring you on because this is not why I asked you to come on the podcast, but I learned this after the fact that you were actually in attendance in the concert uh, on the events of October 1st of 2017. So I just wanted to get as much as I could from you that you're comfortable with, obviously it, I'll take whatever I can get, but just kind of walk us through your experience, how you feel about it a couple of years after the fact, and we'll just kind of have a little conversation about it. Does that sound okay? Sounds perfect. All right. So basically it'll be a little off the path to start out. That's all right. Um, I don't like big crowds. So naturally I was at a three-day country festival outside with huge crowds. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the first day, first two days, we were kind of in the mix, you know, Friday and Saturday, we were in the crowds, in the big, huge, up front at the stage groups. Mm -hmm. And you may be surprised, but there were a lot of intoxicated people who aren't very good at walking through crowds. Right. So by the time Sunday rolled around, Jeff wasn't standing in that crowd. So at the concert, and this is the, at the concert what, on the last day. On it's the a, last day, and which what was the festival name again? I, that Route ninety one Harvest Festival. Route ninety one Harvest Festival, and so who who were you there to see? Like, what drew you to that festival in general? Essentially, my wife drew me to the festival. Ah. She's the big country fan. Gotcha. I more or less tolerate it, but I'm getting into it a little bit more. Um, don't shoot me, country fans. But she is the big country person. She wanted to be in the pit and be with all the people. Mm -hmm. And by the time Sunday rolled around, I was done being a trooper. So luckily, when all of the events that we all know of, we don't have to rehash it, when everything started happening, luckily we were a good distance behind that initial, that front pit area. Yep. There was about a 25 to 30 foot gap in between us and the crowd up right. front. So we were able to hear stuff happening. We were able to get out without being trampled, get out without having to fight through people. Uh, we were able to 
run to a bar that was more or less a, an actual building. They, shelter, seeking shelter. Yeah, from they the, built from like events. they built a House of Blues bar yep. on the site, mm-hmm. and it was you know it was actually a good sized building. So that's the first place I thought to run was let's run to that building. So we ran there. Then they kind of... Before you go any further, just because not everybody is from the Vegas area, Mm -hmm. who were you seeing at the concert at that point? Who's out there? The concert had a huge list of people, you know, being a festival, but Mm -hmm. at that point it was around 10 o'clock, so it was the headliner for the final day, and that was like the main event for everybody, and that was Jason Aldean. Yep. And he was on stage while... Everything started happening. So you guys aren't in the pit in the front. You guys are sitting how many feet back from the, We're from the front? We're about 25, 30 feet from the huge group. From the huge group. Mm-hmm. Okay. So things start to happen. Obviously, bullets start to kind of, you hear the sounds. Nobody really knows what's going on at that point because obviously when you're in that event, you have your your instincts are taking over. So you run to the House of Blues makeshift or at least pop-up bar mm-hmm. with your wife. Yeah. Um, how quickly did you have that instinct to go? At first, nobody really knew what the sound was. Right. You know. Because they thought it was a stage thing, right? Like maybe a bad a bad cannon or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and some people thought it might have been fireworks or right. firecrackers, something something silly like that. Mm-hmm. But as, as silly as this is going to sound, um, from playing Call of Duty and a lot of gun shooting games, mm-hmm. they're very realistic and the sounds are very similar. So on the the second round of that noise people started to understand like oh this isn't this isn't good this isn't something that should be going on this is probably a gun right. so naturally instinct kicks in survival kicks in a lot of people were yelling get on the ground and i'm thinking if there's somebody on the ground right. i'm not getting on the ground cuz you have no idea where I'm, the bullets are coming from yeah i'm getting right. out of there so we tried to get out of there towards the strip side mm-hmm. towards las vegas boulevard we got pushed back in by security, by uh, event staff. So when you're going towards the strip, that means you're going towards Mandalay Bay. Towards Mandalay Bay, yeah. And did you? It was more towards the the Excalibur and the Luxor, um, but it was towards that direction. We were heading west out of the the fairgrounds. Right. We got pushed back in. That's when we went into the House of Blues. Then when there was another lull in the the sounds, you know, the shooting, Mm -hmm. then we tried to make a little more progress to the east side. So we went behind a couple uh, Connex-type buildings, stayed there for a little bit, and uh, I'm a little bit better with, you know, kind of chaos and craziness. So I was trying to get people to calm down and right. and stop crying and don't be loud and don't stand on the building and let them know where you are just in case there are people on the ground. Right, because you have still have no idea. We have so no when, clue what's happening. When you guys were moving back towards the strip and trying to make your exit there— when did did you see the window? Did you realize, or what was there any no, no inclination no whatsoever? Clue. And what was your what was your wife like during this? If you don't mind me asking, she so normally she's very outspoken and she doesn't listen to what I want anything to go like. Yeah, because she's a very strong, independent woman. You know, who happens to be married to another strong, independent person. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of times where we'll, we're we will butt heads, mm-hmm. and it was kind of surprising because. I kind of took more of a, hey, we need to do this right away mode. And she was just kind of focused on running and getting safe, which ended up working out. But that actually makes me think back to running, originally trying to run out to the strip uh, and trying to figure out what was going on and all the craziness. I looked behind me as we were running. Mm -hmm. And this is what gave me an inclination that there was something coming from above is that 
I looked behind me, and over my left shoulder, I saw a water bottle jump off of the ground, and nobody was near it. So you saw it, you're thinking, bullet path, and it uh it hits, and then the water bottle pops up. Yeah, it Mm -hmm. flew off of the ground, which was insane to me. Then I'm thinking- How close were you to this? The water bottle had to have been five to ten feet behind me. So what's going through my head is, if we didn't run as fast, or if somebody stumbled, or- Somebody could have been hit by a bullet right there if it was indeed a bullet that hit that bottle. So my mindset is somebody's above. There might be people on the ground. Who knows what's going on? So we were just working to get out. We got pushed back in because they had a better idea of where it was coming from. After the fact, you know, in hindsight, you could see The police and the security as you guys are running to the strip and going. So So clearly they knew that's where it was coming from. So they were pushing people back in and urging them to go east. So every time there was a stop in the action, mm-hmm. which is kind of a funny term to use, you know, being a hockey person, a stop in the action, yeah, um, we would try to make a little more progress. And then we finally made it out the east side of the fairgrounds. Uh, we ended up running into the Tropicana, which was just a madhouse. It was crazy. Because right. that's like the fir- one of the first the casinos very first that hotel you come to from that, from that point. And I'm sure it, you're not the only person running. There's obviously thousands upon thousands of people as as they're trying to do the exact same thing you are with their survival instincts kicking in. Now, I don't want to get too graph. I don't want to have you have to have you really go deep into it. But are you, as these bullets are flying before you really get out of those grounds, do you see anyone that was injured? Do you, any of that stuff, or was that more from a uh, different vantage point that you guys have run away from? Or I'm just trying to get where you are exactly where in that action. So the first sign of anybody injured was. When we went from those Connex buildings mm-hmm. to the east side of the fairgrounds and eventually got out. Yep. And that's where you started to see people with blood on their arms or mm-hmm. people that were injured or people that were really kind of. Um, they're struggling. Yeah, they're struggling, but they were hysterical. That's where right. it was You're in more. Shock. You're in shock. It, it was a different level. It was mm-hmm. people that were actually hit or their friends were actually hit right. with something. So that's when you knew. Obviously, it was serious, but that's mm-hmm. when it really kind of hit. And that's when we kind of sped up out of the place and right. made it to the Tropicana. People were going crazy at the Tropicana because nobody knew what was going on there. Right. It's a casino. Mm-hmm. These are lockdown areas where they are very well, at that tightly point, secured. And at that point, it's at a that, couple minutes. At right? that point, when I got to the Tropicana, when our group got to the Tropicana, they had no clue what was going on. Mm-hmm. So they had people running around crazy trying to leave the Tropicana because they didn't know that they were actually in a safer spot. Or if people were coming in there, they had no clue. So the Tropicana was a mess. We we just thought, we don't like this. It doesn't feel good. We're going to go even further east. And that's when we ended up at the Hooters, mm-hmm. which if you haven't been to the hotel, it's not like a Hooters restaurant everywhere. Mm-hmm. We're on a bunch of yellow shorts, orange shorts, and crazy girls running around. Yep. But the Hooters was actually a more secure feeling area. So we kind of locked down in there. Mm-hmm. And we ended up meeting up with our friends who had just left the concert maybe three minutes before the shot started. Jeez. So they ended up getting pushed back in as well, and they made it to the Hooters, and we met them there. So we were there from 11 till about 4 a.m., 5 a.m. So when what we got you, a ride what, out of what, there. What are you doing in there while, obviously, you're trying to get news, what's going on, how are people doing, is the shooter still mm-hmm. active, all of these things that transpired, and... That were on live TV, but being on the Pacific Coast, everybody's in bed on the East Coast. I think I, I was in Minnesota at the time myself and didn't really hear about it until the morning. 
So you're there for five hours. Did, did they lock down the entire strip, essentially? Uh, I can't speak for the whole strip, but there, after the fact, there were a lot of reports coming out that there were multiple reports of shootings. Right. So the law enforcement had no clue what was going on because they're getting all these calls from every strip casino mm-hmm. saying that they're hearing gunshots. So they were worried that there might be people at all these different locations right. and it might be this, you know, crazy kind of deal. So we kind of locked down in the Hooters, uh, you know, watching the news. We we got hold of one of the bars, you know, and it was kind of, I don't know how I ended up with a remote, but I had a remote and I was switching and trying to find news to see what was going on. But mm-hmm. uh, a lot of text messages flying through because of my social media posts of, right. you know, being at the concert and to this day, it's crazy to me to look at my Instagram because I have pictures of Jason Aldean on stage, and I promise you it's less than a minute before everything started transpiring. So it's very eerie to go back and see that. And today's kind of the first time in two years mm-hmm. that I have willingly talked about it or willingly have been a part of an event around you know, the the concert shooting. Right. Because we, we both obviously just returned from City National Arena where the Golden Knights uh, hosted a closed practice for first responders, employees of Mandalay Bay, uh, hospital workers, bunch of different people that were involved in that event. And that it was closed to the rest of the public, which is abnormal here. It's usually an open practice to the public and then hosted a, a, a nice little luncheon from up there. Do you so this is your first time that you've really kind of let yourself feel. And when we were there, we were talking to one of the firefighters that happened to be at the concert as well. And you asked the question about, asked the question to him, how long did it take you to feel normal or some sense of normalcy? Can I, I want to pose that same exact question to you. Is that, is right now kind of like your first reflection point at where you feel like you're far enough away from it that it's not so emotionally charged or where, where, what has your process been in just kind of coming to terms with and grieving that event? On the way over here, I was thinking to myself, like, this can be my turning point. You know, it hasn't really day to day. You wouldn't be able to tell that it's affecting me all that much. You know, my personality is usually pretty strong and it stayed pretty strong throughout these last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but anytime these October 1st or these one October things would be brought up, in a way it would kind of irritate me. Although the you know, the whole purpose of what everybody's doing, most of the time it's from a place of being genuine and mm-hmm. caring and wanting to make those survivors and make those people lost and the families involved, make them feel better about it. I, in a way, resented it up until recently. Because I just didn't want to hear about it. I I was there. It happened. And every time it comes up, regardless of if you're using it as a marketing ploy for some companies around town, because it felt like everybody around town was doing hashtag Vegas strong. And it was always mm-hmm. in my face. And it, it made me resent it. And within the last few months is when I've really been able to kind of appreciate the gestures and appreciate mm-hmm. the city. Because... I'm not from the most welcoming area. You know, being an East Coast guy, right. we're a lot more, you know, a hard shell. You know, hard up exterior. emotionally. Yeah. yeah, yep. So it's like my first instinct isn't always, oh, these people want to love me. These people want to be there for me. My first instinct is, can you guys just stop talking about it, please? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, just stop talking about it. But the Golden Knights organization has been very 
consistent in their efforts with this and they've been very open and they've been very welcoming, which is something that I really appreciate now. And a year ago, I would have been more resentful and more resistant to it. So I feel like today is really kind of a turning point for me where I can be a part of something like that, you know, see guys like Jonathan Marchessault and William Carlson come in and take a photo with guys that they don't know, but they have the utmost respect for and listen to the people that were involved. You know, the fire, the fire department, Mm -hmm. uh, I I believe his name was Jesse Gomez that we spoke to. He was very nice to hear from. And I made sure to shake his hand and say, as a, Mm -hmm. as a survivor, thank you for what you did. Thank you for your guys. And for having that courage to run into something that we were running out of. Right. So really today could be my turning point of where I put it behind me, but, you know, kind of still feel it and not be so resistant to hearing about it. Right. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast to share your story and to kind of hopefully work through some latent. It's never going to go away, obviously. It's always going to be a part of you and part of this city. And and I think that's where someone like me, where I wasn't here beforehand, during, or after, and I'm just getting here and, try, and trying to really not understand but empathize with people, um, but not to the point where I'm trying to be like, oh, here, here's what I feel about it. You know what I mean? But I think one of the things that people like me who see these types of events, because there have been so many as of late, we won't get into anything political, but big-time events like this have been on the uprise. And I think – Outside of those first couple of days of news coverage, when obviously it's so heavy and it's so important, like you said, the Vegas strong and the support, which reverberates far past the event in the days following. But for you, in the weeks after the event and, and the year and even just up until today, what do you think is missing from the national conversation in terms of things that could have helped you or things that you saw from other survivors that they were struggling with that didn't get as much attention that maybe would have made things a little bit easier. I don't think there's any one thing you can really point to for me personally. It's more of, it was just an overexposure in my mind Mm -hmm. to what happened, but it's a necessary overexposure. Right. So it's just something that comes along with the territory of being involved in something like that. I mean, I can only imagine how people feel following the September 11th attacks. Right. Because that's just never going to go away. Not that this will, but mm-hmm. I feel like this was on a much smaller scale, whereas that's going to be with people for the rest of their lives. And right. I can only imagine how they feel. And I feel like my struggle pales in comparison to people who were actually injured or people who were involved in September 11th. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the only thing that I would have hoped is to see it less, but it's also – I'm also at a point where I understand that it's a necessary thing and in the long run it's actually a positive, not a negative. Right. And as you, we move away from the, those events, we just uh, commemorated September 11th for – what was it, the 18th year since the, all those events transpired. And it looks different year year after year as you move away from the events and um, there's – it's crazy to think that 9-11 was that long ago, and it doesn't even feel like it was two years since this day. I remember everything I did both both of those days just because they were so sudden and, and just very jarring. Um, but, again, I appreciate you sharing your story with us and and for being here and, and just, I don't know. I don't know, I, I don't know how to address this because it's, it's just so tough. But what I would like to do is thank all of the first responders, all of anybody that was involved during that day, 
um, and that continues to be involved, including the Golden Knights and, and the great things that they've done for the community. And obviously the team was a big, big aspect of the recovery, or at least the continuation of the recovery of this city and of the victims and the people who were there. So we're going to take a quick pause just to kind of reset ourselves uh, on the Nightcap Podcast here on the CBS Sports Radio 1140 Podcast Network. We'll be right back with Jeff Paul right after this. Hey guys, I hope you don't mind waiting just a teensy bit longer for the rest of my conversation with Hockey Buzz's Jeff Paul. You can catch that on the Nightcap Podcast, which drops each and every Wednesday throughout the course of the hockey season. Uh, You can find that at cbssportsradio1140.radio.com. Remember, each and every Wednesday we drop a new podcast and we have content popping up on the website throughout the week, so make sure you keep on top of that. And obviously your Vegas Golden Knights kick off their regular season against the hated San Jose Sharks. Tomorrow night, nationally televised, 7.30 p.m. Be there or be square. Uh, Very excited. Very pumped. I'll be there. So make sure you follow me on the social media. But until then, this has been the Nightcap Podcast. My name is Lindsay Brown, your host always and forever. And thanks again for listening. Bye! The Nightcap Podcast with Lindsey Brown is produced from the Las Vegas-based studios of CBS Sports Radio 1140, a radio.com sports station.